0: You are listening to the science and soul of living well where we highlight evidence-based tools from psychological science and complementary and alternative medicine to help us all cultivate resilience and live with more meaning purpose, and alignment with personal values, even in the most stressful and darkest of times. I'm Melissa Ming-Voines, your host, and I am also a clinical psychologist and educator, trauma-informed mindfulness meditation and yoga teacher, and Ayurvedic doula. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's podcast. Before I introduce our guest for today, I just wanted to briefly remind you about my new free four-part video series on the science and soul of building resilience. And you can find a link to it in the episode notes if you are interested. So, I have with me here today Dr. Robin Walzer, and I'm so honored and delighted that she was able to join us because she is such a treasure trove of wisdom and also is such a warm-hearted and kind person. So I'm very grateful to have her here with us today. And Robin is the director of TL Consultation Services and co-director of the Bay Area Trauma Recovery Center. She is also staff at the National Center for Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder in the Dissemination and Training Division. She is also a licensed psychologist and maintains an international training, consulting, and therapy practice. She is an expert in acceptance and commitment therapy, or ACT, and has co-authored five books on ACT and a sixth book, which has recently been published, called The Heart of ACT, which she has authored on her own. And some of her books include ACT for Moral Injury and ACT for Anger, which is a self-help book soon to be released, as well as a book on Learning Act. And all of Robin's publications will be listed in the show notes for you to explore further if you're interested. Robin also has expertise in traumatic stress and substance abuse and has authored a number of articles, chapters, and books on these topics. So welcome, Robin. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Uh, Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, Robin, since so much of your expertise is in ACT, and I know that not everyone tuning in may be familiar with ACT, I was hoping we could start with a bit of an introduction to ACT, what it is, and how you use it in your own life for those who are less familiar with it as a framework.
1: Sure. So, ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy uh, is a cognitive behavioral intervention that essentially is captured in its name. So we're working on acceptance of internal experience. So emotion, thought, sensation, changing your relationship with those in such a way that you're unhooked, you're released, you're able to move more freely in your life. Uh, It uses uh, mindfulness and acceptance processes to help people come back to really being human and letting the human experience be acceptable and okay, uh, that their insides are not damaged and broken, uh, and that they can still go on and create very um, meaningful and vital lives, which is what the commitment part is about, where we work to clarify values, to understand what's important to people and what they'd like to see unfold in their lives so that they're able to move forward into values-based living instead of just being oriented on symptom reduction. Now, it's not that symptoms don't improve. They they definitely do when you look at the research on ACT, Um, but it's not the focus. The focus is on um, meaning and vitality and values. And i think that for me, uh, the way I see it is that if I'm not doing it in my own life, it's going to be very hard to help people do it in theirs. And so I'm always practicing acceptance and looking to my values to guide me in creating personal meaning and regularly and routinely um, being self-reflective about that. I have a small mindfulness practice and I a personal practice, and um, I wish I could say I did tons of it, but I'm just, I just probably I'm on every other day or something like that. And uh, I have a relationship with my internal experience that's kind and compassionate, rather than you know there's something wrong with me or I'm disordered in mm-hmm. some way. I I've sort of reject those notions and really want to work with clients and be present to myself in such a way that simply because I have a, what's been labeled an unpleasant emotion doesn't mean that I'm dysfunctional or broken in some way.
0: Mm-hmm. I love the description that you shared about the ways in which you practice many of these principles in your own life and particularly this emphasis on the inner kindness, because I think So many of us are conditioned when something in our lives goes wrong or we judge it as going wrong or not in alignment with what we expected or hoped that that means there's something wrong with us or that we are to blame. And it just seems like there's so much opportunity to relate differently to ourselves in the face of a life circumstance, not turning out how we wanted or anticipated or hoped.
1: Yeah, no. One of the things that I really appreciate about ACT is that it focuses on the context of people's experience, not just their experience. So, I mean, their experience is important, and we wanna we wanna understand what their emotions are and their thoughts and um, their interactions with those experiences. But the context is vital as well. Mm-hmm. Like. What are their current circumstances? Um, How are their relationships going? Are they socially connected? Do they feel like their quality of life is where they'd like it to be? Are they finding um, joy in their experiences? Um, Is their context and historical process one that's been oppressive? You know, let's take domestic violence, for instance, or racial trauma, mm-hmm. where they're coming out of a long history, perhaps, of um, experiencing contexts that is restricting and uh, rigid. Uh, the last thing I want to do in that place is turn to that person and say, there's something wrong with you, mm-hmm. right? Like it, this, you're depressed, you're the one, right? Like it's sort of takes the person out of the context almost completely and then literally pathologizes the person, gives them a diagnosis. And I kind of want to back up from that system and take a closer look like what are all of the contextual variables at least that I can be aware of that are, can be changed and help influence this person and what are not just do they want to get rid of a symptom if they've uh, got a symptom, but you know, what do they want to create?
0: Mm.
1: Right. Where do they, what do they want to create in their lives? Now, life is just so short and we don't, you know, we don't appreciate it until we get older. Yes. And if we can begin a kind of appreciation now for um, this, you know, period of time between birth and death and, Go in there and make it as meaningful as possible in the time that we have, that's different than going in and saying, I got to feel better. I got to not have these experiences and then I'll finally live my life.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I want to start with living.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and as you were talking, Robin, I was thinking a lot about how so many of us because of life experiences, trauma, various forms of oppression can get to a place where we can feel somewhat grief stricken and hopeless about circumstances in our lives that make certain aspects of our lives challenging. And so your emphasis here on the context, I think is so valuable because when our external circumstances are structured in a way that can reinforce that grief and hopelessness and sadness if we feel like the problem is our perspective, like we need to become less hopeless, we need to become less full of grief, that can be problematic because that's not the reality of our lives. So what you're saying is it's not necessarily about reducing your grief, reducing your hopeless. That may happen. It's really about focusing on the richness and vitality of your life and creating meaning in the context in which you live, even if there is stress and chaos and and trauma and oppression around you.
1: Yes. And so if I'm thinking about grief, and this can be, you know, if it's a trauma, it might be the loss of a loved one in a terrible accident. Um, Or if it's um, something like oppression, it might be loss of belonging, loss of opportunity, right? And Mm -hmm. so uh, both of those can have grief as part of the process. And what we would do from an act perspective then is let's go meet this grief. It's valid.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And we'll, we'll walk through it and experience it and be conscientious of it rather than, um, sort of blaming and shaming yourself for feeling something Mm -hmm. right. And for feeling what we would typically call negative. And this is, um, uh, one thing that I would like to see change in a way, like if I could sort of be the person who gets to say what goes on in psychology in one way, shape, or form, I, I just take negative and positive, like almost out of the labels of our thoughts and our emotions and our sensations, and and just simplify it. Like these are just that: thoughts, sensations, and emotions regardless of if we're labeling them as negative or dysfunctional or illogical or whatever, right? Like Mm -hmm. these are experiences that human beings have and you can't help the thoughts. We get them. We don't create them. We get them, so to speak. And um, I guess with grief, I want to make lots of room to process through that grief. Like, And some people will grieve depending on what the loss is for a lifetime. Like if you've lost a child to um, violent crime or something like that. Mm -hmm. You may grieve forever. It's just that I wouldn't want the grief to eat your life. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Right. Well, what is the, what is the meaning that was seemed to be lost there and how do we bring it to life again, move through the grief, be mindful of it. You can mindfully do things that are about grieving and then begin to step into, again, what do I want to create? How do I want to move forward? Mm. And for some, it's like, how will I even um, honor perhaps the person that I lost as I move forward in my own life
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. as a kind of values-based action, right? Like that would be a values-based way of stepping into creating meaning versus staying stuck in the grief. Mm -hmm.
0: It's such a validating perspective to help someone recognize what was the meaning that was lost or what what has felt like it has fallen apart here and how can we cultivate that in a different way? Not to say that it's a substitute for what was lost, but to acknowledge that that Is a core aspect of who you are. That is of importance to you. That is valid. That is legitimate. That is human. And how can how can we meet that? And how can we listen to that? And cultivate it in different ways. Yeah. In your life.
1: Uh, Be uh, compassionate toward yourself in these places of grief, and to recognize the humanity of it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Mm -hmm. there's a humanness in it. We're all going to have our own measure of suffering, our own measure of pain. And to turn away from it in a such a way that um, it's not okay. You know, you know um, for instance, in our uh, society, in the you know U.S. Uh, society, kind of a westernized culture, we ha- we do have some kind of funny rules, like you have a, let's say you have a, a partner that dies or a child that dies or something like that. You get like three days off, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then right. you're expected to be back. And I find that startling. Absolutely. That you could be in a place where you could return to work in three days. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, it's not a very, it's not a recognition of humanity, mm-hmm. frankly.
0: mhm and and robin it's so interesting that those messages infiltrate even the the field of psychology i i remember once i had a patient who who died and a former supervisor asked me i think it was a week or two after it had happened oh, are you feeling better now and i just remember inside just being very shocked because like absolutely no i was absolutely not okay at all yeah. and 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 there was this this i i guess both implicit and explicit understanding that that with time i would be quote unquote okay what who even knows what that actually means but you know this was an experience that really rocked me to my core this was someone that i really deeply cared about and so e- even and and I say this not as a criticism of other people, but I think to highlight that even in professions where we focus on cultivation of compassion and human connection, we are still affected by some of these dominant narratives and this conditioning of our society and our culture, even in ways that we may not be that conscious of. And And I think that's part of what you're saying is, this practice of values-based living and this framework of ACT is really about continually being aware of what's going on inside of us, ways in which we feel we are on track with our values and alignment with our values. Time is when we veer off because we do veer off track because we are human and life circumstances can be challenging. So I, I do think it's something that I think about a lot is just the ways in which we, which we are, our values are conditioned by our, our culture or how sometimes we take on values of our culture without necessarily discerning whether those are values that we want for ourselves.
1: It's absolutely the case. You're, um, I mean, reflecting on that like what are my values and do I hold the same values that my culture holds and it's perfectly fine to do that and it might also be that there's some things here that I don't resonate with they are not how I want to you know unfold and be in the world but those those messages can be you know languaging and um, the social nature of uh, values and morals can be pretty powerful. And your just your personal history can be pretty powerful, too, in terms of the things that you learned as you were growing up what's okay and what's not okay. And I <clears throat> your story reminded me of um, my the passing of my brother. And uh, it's just an example of how um, ingrained these things can be and how some professions might still just miss the target.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was, um, a, a, uh, basically in the hospital and uh, I was sitting next to him uh, saying goodbye to him. And there was a, a clergy in the room mm-hmm. and my three brothers. And of course I was just torn up about, mm-hmm. um, he's just a year older than me. He died at age 47. He was quite oh. young. And um, I was just holding his hand and I had my head leaned down on his chest. And I was quite tearful. And I just wanted to stay there with him and um, just say goodbye in my own way. And at one point, the the clergy, and I remember this so clearly said to me, why are you having such a hard time with (gasps) us? Yeah, no, that was... (laughs) And I was... I shocked by the comment. Yes. And I think what was actually happening is that he was having a hard time mm-hmm. with seeing me mm-hmm. grieving my brother. Like the somehow in his historical context, mm-hmm. somewhere along the way, the grief that you can see in someone else made him feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I really think the question was about him, not about me. Right, right. And so we see these things and it's it just heartbreaking in some way. Like the message is, is, just like the message that the supervisor gave to you is it's time to move on. Right,
0: right. And in even this message of it not really being that important because it wasn't met with curiosity rather than saying, how are you doing? It was more yeah, you're doing yeah. okay, right? Like you said, it was this encouragement to quote unquote, move on as opposed to being with me in my yeah. experience and being curious about it. And as you said, I think sometimes we unintentionally engage with other people in that way because of our own grief experiences, our own history, and because we're not in a place to to be with someone else in, in their grief. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. And yet it can cause harm when we engage in people in this way. And when we use language in this way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't blame him. Uh, You know, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly upset with him. I did find it a little jarring, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but uh, was uh, probably miraculously able to just let it pass. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Uh, recognizing that that wasn't about me and that I could stay with my brother for a period of time. Mm -hmm. I wasn't planning to be there forever. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I just needed a certain, uh, what I just let it unfold rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, needing it to be over with in some way. And maybe he said it because, um, we had known for a a while that he was, um, you know, not doing well and not going to, um, survive his condition uh, but still, right? Mm-hmm. Let's, yeah. uh, let's allow human emotion be what it is. And I have had some people say to me things like, well, are you just saying that people should walk around with these really high and intense emotions and just look crazy all the time? And that's not it either. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're having a an emotional overwhelm, let's say, where you're, you know, starting to um, get bigger and bigger, like more anger or more loud or something like that inside of an emotional experience. First, I'd want to know your cultural context, because for some people, Mm -hmm. that's a normal reaction. And Mm -hmm. second, sometimes those very reactions themselves are about avoiding the initial pain. Mm. Like imagine if I'm I have a ping of pain and I feel like I can't tolerate it. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is start saying, oh no, oh no, oh no. And then I am um, like super charged up and uh, just interacting with myself self in an amplifying loop. That's a different experience than just being present to that initial pain.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and so when you're present to pain it is it isn't inside of an amplifying loop and it's not about walking around you know just emotionally raw all the time it's about a mindful and connected experiencing self that can be with emotion Mm -hmm. and but still grounded right like it's not about um this kind of place where some people are sort of evaluating being present to your emotions as if that means that you just are crying all the time or you're, you see what I'm saying?
0: Exactly. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and so many of us have been taught to fear our emotions or have received the message that we can't handle our emotions or that a certain narrow bandwidth of emotional intensity is quote unquote correct. And so I, I can also see how some of these messages and our internalization of them can play out in the kinds of, of context you're describing or growing up in environments where we needed to display intense emotion in order to get our needs met and to get someone to pay attention, that there's a sort of learning that can get reinforced depending on our family history or life experiences. So like you're saying, bringing some mindful attention to the experience of the emotion and riding the the wave of it, so to speak. And when we are in that, then the emotion sort of is what it is without an artificial amplification or an artificial suppression, sort of like being with what is.
1: Yeah. I couldn't have said it better myself when I think about these kinds of things, right? Is that um writing with, instead of having to push against or amplify, just, you know, it was a, it's a relationship with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're relating to yourself in a in a way that doesn't carry the messages like time to move on or get over it or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're okay, right? Mm -hmm. Like it Mm -hmm. doesn't have those kinds of messages in it. Mm
0: -hmm. And Robin, as you're talking and as you, thank you so much for sharing your example of, of your brother. And as you were sharing, I was listening to how you tried not to, overly personalize his reaction and and there, I was listening for how you responded to this this person's comment because I think so often when we are trying to live in alignment with our values and we're around a person or in a system that has a different set of values, there can be a conflict and we can feel criticized, judged, and validated. And so there sometimes is a, is a recovery from that. We we have to figure out how to navigate that. And so what I heard in your example was you tried to both not take it so personally to try to see see this as perhaps about his own context with without blame, without judgment. And also you then did not allow his reaction to detract from your experience in the moment. And so I'm wondering if you have, and I love both of those examples or or strategies, so to speak, even though you didn't necessarily label them in that way, but I'm wondering if you have other thoughts about how, when there is this conflict in values, whether it's between us and a system, us and a partner, us and a peer, whomever it is, how do we navigate some of those conflicts, especially when we feel judged or criticized for our values?
1: Yeah, well, I guess the first place I would go is to dig a little deeper and see if our values are actually in conflict, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, or is it that we're fearful and responding from a fearful place? So, I mean, I don't know about this clergy, but I'm expecting that, or sort of hypothesizing, I guess I would say that his watching my level of pain brought some discomfort to him and maybe he felt unsure or insecure or didn't know exactly how to respond you know as the guy in the room who's supposed Mm -hmm. to be there and be a stabilizing force and have the answers and be able to help people guide people through their grief and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so I suspect that what happened for him is he got a little, you know, unsure and maybe a little anxious about watching my, my grief. Mm -hmm. And um, so he says this thing, but if I were to peel it back, I think that we would find that we have Probably some similar values. Mm. Like he's wanting to help, a value of helping. He's wanting to um, maybe extend some kind of an offering that's about kindness or love. Like, but it just came out in this funny way, which would be similar to my values. Like, um, I want to help my family through this grief. I want to. You know, offer kindness and some kind of love. And so, if we can go to those places, like notice our anxiousness, notice our fears, and instead drop into the values, mm-hmm. then we'll find a common ground, right? Like, we'll be in a space where we can have a different kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. Like it would have been interesting if he would have said something like, I'm anxious that I don't know what to do right now.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. And then I could have just said, I don't know, I'm making this up because of course this didn't happen. I didn't respond to him at all. I just stayed present with my brother. Mm -hmm. Um, I could have said, it's okay. Um, It's all right. We're all, we're all okay here. We're just doing our thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, something that Mm -hmm. like that, that might've like, tapped into our different experiences. And then there are truly times when we do have um, different uh, values or conflict in values and finding common ground is a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. I might, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bold and and make the hypothesis that probably we do, our values are more in line than not in line. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there will clearly be times when what I value doesn't match up with what someone else values. Mm -hmm. And then um, we're either going to negotiate or maybe not be able to, you know, kindly disagree Mm -hmm. and go our individual ways. I mean, that's possible. Um, When I think about human beings in general, though, you know, and I, I, most of us just want to belong. So belonging seems really important. Um, we care about love and loving, and we want to f- experience that in our lives. So belonging and love, and then maybe for some of us, like having authentic presence and experience, like there's, you know, and I just, there's, maybe there's, there's a lot of different values-based words, but if I could just like, you know, boil it down. There'd be mm-hmm. these sort of overarching ones that I think are super important. And if we could meet there, I think we would find that um we have something to say to each other that is helpful and kind and can move us forward.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I think those are very helpful pearls of wisdom, Robin. And it's reminding me of this past year and so much conflict that has existed around differences in political beliefs, beliefs about COVID and, and how to manage safety and how when we're anxious, when we're fearful, we are more vulnerable to responding from a place of reactivity and assumption rather than curiosity. And like you're saying, sometimes if we take a minute to pause and, and ask someone, what is underneath some of their beliefs, we can find that that common ground. We might have different ideas about how to achieve the same goal or live out the same value, but it's hard to get at that common ground when we're operating at that level of reactivity. And when we are not willing to be vulnerable, that was another part of, of what you shared with this clergy person. If that person had named the emotion I think so often we underestimate the power in in naming emotion and admitting to someone else, I'm scared, I'm hurt, I'm worried, and how that so often brings us together. Whereas some of these other statements can create disconnection and defensiveness and we can miss each other and, and miss that there is perhaps sometimes more in common than we realize
1: yeah no I agree I mean the poli- the politics of the last year and um the uh, racial difficulties and uh covid have just seemed like they've combined in a way where we're like in the middle of this um firestorm and how do we connect with each other and not lose, A common ground, if there is going to be one, or even with curiosity, like you're saying, discover the common ground, if there is one. I mean, sometimes I, I think that the common ground, um, if I, if I go um, politically broad, Mm -hmm. is freedom like if you if everybody wants that thing yeah i think or most people Mm -hmm. and they don't want to be infringed upon they want to be able to live their lives uh without fear Mm -hmm. and to make make choices and um we we just have a lot of things inside of our system that don't allow that
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and uh but if you could talk to individuals personally, they'll be like, yeah, I want freedom. Well, me too, right? Like it's a, such a fascinating thing if you can sort of distill it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, it's just that we have different ideas about how to get there and what, and what that means. And so that's where negotiations can start, I think. Um, but we don't often go there, right? we the, we, when we're fearful, mm-hmm. we get rigid and we withdraw, we, and we, we set up barriers and protections and collapse inside of ideas and rigidities that keep us from really being able to hear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I don't hear you say you're anxious and fearful mm-hmm. because I'm so anxious and fearful over here on my side of the wall mm-hmm. that it's like it doesn't come through. Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about this with my I have a couple of younger brothers and um one of them he and I will get into political discussions every now and then and it's fascinating how quickly we get to i'm right and and I'm mm. right right mm. like <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and we're and it's such a and it's such an interesting experience so part of what I've been trying to do to kind of find a way where we can um, communicate around this is that mm-hmm. when he suggests that the way I'm thinking about something um, isn't accurate or um, <clears throat> that I am um, don't get it or something like that, mm-hmm. then instead of saying, well, you know, you're the one who doesn't get it because, you know, blah, blah, blah with my own argument, I've changed to, okay, I'm going to go do some research on what you're saying. I'm going to go look. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go try to understand and get clear on what it is that you're sharing with me. And I'm going to bring it back to you and uh, present to you what I've found and tell me if you think that's what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is that in um, a couple of those, he's like, yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm trying to say. But in a couple of them, it's like, oh no, I don't think that at all. Mm. And I was like, well, did you know that there's a part of this where that's where the thinking comes from? And he's like, well, no, that's not what I'm thinking. Right, so like there's these so many opportunities for misunderstandings when, when the walls are there. Mm-hmm. Well, some of this, and I think absolutely requires um, something bigger, though, in terms of being heard. Yeah, uh, you know, like we've seen demonstrations in the streets and um, people using their voice in ways that I'm hoping will create change. Then mm-hmm. um, I say using their voice very specifically because I don't think we should be violent as a way to be heard, but doesn't mean you can't feel anger. Mm-hmm right? Like anger can fully be a part of your experience. It's just how you channel it and what you do with it that becomes very important. Mm-hmm. Um, do you use it to motivate you to walk the streets or do you use it to motivate you to harm someone? Mm-hmm. And um, though the second one is just, I think, born more in fear than wanting something to change.
0: hmm
1: hmm Right. Does that make sense? It I'm- it does. Yeah.
0: It does. And it's, it's calling to mind from calling to mind for me, this idea of, of skillful means. So when we have a certain value or need that we're trying to meet, engaging in the world with other people, with ourselves in a way that is likely to uphold that value or to meet that need. So like you said, anger is not the problem. Anger is a legitimate emotion to have. It serves a very important function. How do we, use, how do we allow that emotion to do its job which is to motivate us for action, to show us what is important to us, to indicate where a certain need is not being met or something we love is not being taken care of. And, and how do we respond in a way that that allows us to unblock that goal, to to meet that need for love, whatever the the anger is telling us. Because sometimes when we, again, respond from that understandable human place of reactivity, we actually decrease the chances that we are going to get what we want. And so it's this idea of being skillful about how we listen to that value. We listen to that emotion.
1: No, I agree. And maybe one of the issues that we have as a culture, at least here in our Western cultures, that you know, sometimes we're just not very skillful at these kinds of things. And, you know, and so working at it, and I think the biggest, one of the most important skills that we can do, and you've probably heard this before, but is just to listen, but not Mm -hmm. to listen with your argument in mind, Mm -hmm. but to really listen and hear the pain and the fear of the other person. Mm -hmm. And um, to know to recognize them in you. Mm-hmm. You know, that we have our own pains and fears. And there's sort of this kind of quality of otherizing, right? Like mm-hmm. you are other than me. And as far as I can tell, I mean, the last time I checked, we're all humans, mm-hmm. right? Right. And, so, <laughs> and of all variety, shapes, sizes, colors, and backgrounds, and um. Uh, we should sort of come back to recognizing hum- humanness. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, it's just, you know, brings me back to ACT. I'm so, why, and why I'm so appreciative of it is that like, there's a humbleness in it mm-hmm. that is about connecting to the experience of um, humanity mm-hmm. and human beings. There's just no way to escape pain. We're built to have it. Mm-hmm. We're built to experience anxiety. We're built to experience fear and we're built to experience pain. And part of what I will do on occasion is ask, imagine that you never could have those experiences. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Like what would that mean about you and how you, you know, move around in life? If you never have pain, if you're able to successfully just like cut it out of you and not experience it, what that means is when somebody close to you passes, or in some way you become um, uh, injured by something, it doesn't matter.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like, you just, you, you, like, really, it's about being robotic rather than being human.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, when I think about life on this planet and, you know, um, I want to taste all of those flavors of emotion and, you know, really like you were earlier, you were saying we've kind of limited ourselves to this kind of narrow mm-hmm. experience of human emotion. It's sort of shifted over to the positive side. Like yes. what we need to do is feel good mm-hmm. And I'm all for feeling good. Like I am wanted by like I like happiness. I like to laugh. I like to experience joy and those kind. I'm all for it. But I also recognize that that means I'm only tasting maybe one thing on the menu if I say this is all I can have. Mm-hmm. i want to I want to taste it all. Like let's mm-hmm. try everything on the menu. and that doesn't mean you know, I'm going to like it or that I may maybe going to want it again, but I'm going to be willing. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I think it will, one, it'll do two things. Um, One, it'll bring me back to being just what it means to be human. And two, if I'm willing to have the experience of pain, I'm going to open myself up for joy.
0: Mm.
1: Because one thing we know about suppressing emotion and trying not to feel it. That as human beings, we're not very good at saying, I'm going to get that one that I don't like and push it down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I'm going to, I don't like the anxiety that I feel. So I'm just going to suppress that. We like, we just don't have very good, like skill at that. <laughs> right. And uh, if you want to call it a skill is that we end up just shutting it all down, including the joy. Mm -hmm. including the happiness and people end up being numb or, you know, really shut down to their experience and then lamenting that they're not feeling joy. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, in order to really have both joy or to, uh, uh, to have joy in your life, you also have to um, be willing to have pain. Mm -hmm and so taste it all i guess is part of what i would be mindful be curious right mm-hmm. taste it all
0: i love that that message and that mantra and as you said it it has such repercussions not just for us as individuals but for our relationships and our communities because when we are narrowing the menu when we're only tasting one option over and over again we can't relate as well to other people. We can't open ourselves up to their pain. We can't be with them in their pain. We can't ad- advocate for our communities. I mean, there's just so much that we shut off from in ourselves and relationally when we don't allow for that whole spectrum.
1: of I, I, I agree with you 100%. And if you look at um, the ability to be flexible, like psychological flexibility, which I think does have curiosity in it, the ability mm-hmm. to be curious and open and, and willing and perhaps uh, adapt, being able to adapt to situations as they arrive in ways mm-hmm. that are healthy, mm-hmm. right? But all of those, like psychological flexibility itself, um just is associated with lots of uh, uh, processes of well-being,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so the more uh, flexible we can be, in, with our emotional experience, with our ability to listen mm-hmm. and be curious, the 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 more well-being we will have, mm-hmm. or the more we'll be able to uh, adapt and vary our behaviors in ways that um, keep us from getting stuck for long periods of time Mm -hmm. and sort of um, decrease that amount of rigidity that can set in in the examples that you're giving where you're just cutting yourself off from opportunities to be present in your community, let's say, Mm -hmm. or interacting with your community in ways that are um, helping or in a pro-social fashion or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, I think asking ourselves if we're flexible or rigid is part of that kind of healthy way of evaluating how we're we're living with ourselves and working with ourselves. Mm
0: -hmm. And that makes so much sense because we know that life is not, permanent or static. It, it is ever changing. And so of course, to meet a world and internal landscape that is ever changing, that need for flexibility makes so much sense to me. So Robin, I, I could talk to you for hours and I have so many more questions. And I also want to be mindful of our, our time. So you're you're I'll ask you one final question which was brought to mind for me before we spoke today, but also was reinforced by our conversation today, which is this idea of also swinging the pendulum so far that we're overly flexible. So, so many of us have internalized this message that who we are is not okay. And so we become sort of chameleon like, and we, adapt to circumstances so much that we lose that anchor of our inner compass and our values. And so so many people that I come across will say, I don't really know what my values are. I'm looking at these lists of values. I'm trying to figure it out. And and it seems like one core message I'm taking away from you today is that in order to live our lives in accordance with our values, to come back home to ourselves and our humanity and the humanity of others, we do need to be able to clarify our values and, and know what they are. We can't come back to something that we don't know what is. So for those of us who are still working to hone our understanding of what our values are and maybe discern the difference between what we've been conditioned to think is important and what we truly believe is important. Do you have suggestions or pearls of wisdom for how to navigate that process?
1: Yes. Well, I hope they're pearls of wisdom. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So one thing um, right up front to be aware of is that values are a process. They're not an outcome. And so we're continually in motion in the service of those. And that might mean looking and reflecting on what they are uh, as we move along. And it's not like I could choose the value of loving and then go, I arrived, you know, finish that up. And I'm all Mm -hmm. done with loving and on to the next value, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is a forever thing. And. The way you manifest that value is in your actions.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so if I were a, you know, a silent observer watching you, Melissa, let's say, live the value of loving, let's say, I'd Mm -hmm. see you do things that represent that. Mm -hmm. So it's process tied to action. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. And then secondly, you can almost always begin to clarify values by looking at your points of pain and fear.
0: Mm. And I
1: know it sort of seems like, oh, those, that's not where it is. right? <laughs> but if you look at where you feel pain, you'll mm. also see places that you care mm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: and places that uh, matter to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, or if you're fearful of something, like let's take social anxiety, for instance, if someone's socially anxious and they're fearful about connecting with others, what you hear in there is they want to connect. Mm-hmm. Like connection is just right inside of that. I want to belong. Because mm-hmm. if they don't, if they don't care about belonging, they wouldn't have social anxiety. You see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like absolutely. So one place you can look is in your points of pain, your points of fear and anxiety, and see what's missing. What am I really wanting? What does this tell me about what I care about? Uh and so if you're getting certain messages from the outside about values, you can do a reflection like, does this lead to, if I don't have this thing, am I going to be a lesser or in pain or am I going to struggle? And if the answer to that is yes, it is likely something that you do care about, something that is values-based. Mm. And so both your points of joy, by the way, and your mm. points of pain. One other, just a final word on it is one other thing that you can do, and maybe I'll invite you to do this in this moment and your audience can try it too, is to just take a moment and look at a time when you, and you can close your eyes if it helps create this space, that where you have a very cherished memory, like a sweet memory. Just take a moment and see if you can bring one to mind i'll do the same i'm going to bring a cherished memory to mind and just let yourself see and fall into the memory and really notice what's there like what are the sights and the sounds and the experiences of it what do you feel as you reflect on this sweet memory And if you look, if you're curious, probably what you'll find in there is something that matters to you. And there's a value in there that you care about. This, so both pain and joy can help you begin to see and connect to what's important for you. And I'll just invite you and your audience back. And uh, I don't know if you want to share your memory. Uh, uh, I'm happy to share mine if we want to kind of wind up in that way.
0: Sure. I'd love to share mine. So I was calling to mind a memory of being at the ocean with my son and playing this game of chase with the waves and it being this experience of fun and joy, but also of witnessing his awe and excitement of life and feeling very inspired by that. And, and he is one of my greatest teachers when it comes to connecting to a genuine sense of awe in the world around us, both in terms of the natural world and interpersonal connection. And so I just had in mind his screeches of excitement and the smile on his face and us laughing. And um, that was, that was my cherished memory. So thank you for, for helping me call that to mind.
1: Yeah. No. And you can, can you just feel the values in there? Yes. Like values of love and connection to human, your son Mm -hmm. and nature, Mm -hmm. right? Like it, it just, is this memory that you've shared is just like blooming with <laughs> values? I guess yes, I would and a say, and of
0: presence of like yeah. fully yeah. being in the moment as opposed to thinking about yeah, what just happened? What are we gonna do next? But this this moment of really being with fully yeah. in mind, yeah. body, and spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Robin, thank you so much for all of your wisdom and your vulnerability and your, your willingness to share about your own practices in your life. This is such a treat, such an honor, such a delight. I cannot thank you enough. And and yes, just thank you so much for, for joining us
1: today. You, you are welcome. It is my sincere pleasure. Thank you for
0: having me. You're so welcome. Thank you for listening to the Science and Soul of Living Well. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, share it with others, or leave us a review. If you'd like to reach out or connect more, please follow me on Instagram. I hope you'll join us next time.